I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah! Ah, it seems that you've found the mansion of Leaves of Glen, uh, where I read the hottest uh, public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to read Chapter 2 of David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. It is the eighth novel uh, by Charles Dickens, first published as a serial in 1849 through 1850, and then later uh, as a book in 1850, and widely considered his most popular work. Uh, I can already tell we're going to start running out of uh, about the author by the time I get to chapter 500 in this huge novel. So uh, we'll just kind of scrape up what we've got here. Uh, about the author, I ah, is. Born in the 7th February 1812 and died the 9th of June 1870. Dickens' literary success began with the 1836 uh, serial publication of the Pickwick Papers. You probably just heard a bing uh, from my phone. It's Ben from the other podcast harassing me. Within a few years, he had become an international literary celebrity, ah, famous for his humor, ah, satire, and keen observation of character and society. His novels, uh, most of them published in monthly or weekly installments, pioneered the serial publication of narrative fiction, which became the dominant Victorian mode for novel publication. Uh, cliffhanger endings in his uh, serial publications kept readers in suspense. Any installment format allowed Dickens to evaluate his audience reaction, and he often modified his plot and character development based on such feedback. For example, uh, when his wife's chiropist, chiropodist, I'm not looking that up, expressed distress at the way Miss Moucher in David Copperfield seemed to reflect her disabilities, Dickens improved the character with positive features. Uh, his plots were carefully constructed, and he often wove elements from topical events into his narratives. Masses of the illiterate poor would individually pay uh, a half penny uh, to have each new monthly episode read to them, opening up and inspiring a new class of readers. Sorry, taking a swig of my tea. Fun facts. I can't really find any fun facts on this guy. Weirdly enough, because he's so famous and died so long ago, uh, but the fun facts are all pretty uh, disturbing. Uh, David Copperfield contains many autobiographical elements. Uh, at a surface level, it is easy to notice that even the name of the main character, uh, David Copperfield, uh, has the inverted initials of its author, uh, Charles Dickens. Well, like it's an anagram? David. No, it's not. Oh, just the initials? C.D. Is D.C. Is that... That's... (laughs) 
easy to notice. <laughs> it's like the silliest thing I've ever read. All right, fine. Well, that wasn't interesting. Uh, David's employment at Murder's Murdstone and Grinby's is drawn from Dickens' own painful experiences at Warren's Blacking Factory. Uh, even their careers, reporter and then novelist, are similar. Uh, David's love for Dora Spenlow is modeled after Dickens' youthful fascination for Maria Beadnell. Various versions of Dickens' parents surface in the novel as well. Well, those weren't very interesting. Uh, yeah, it's going to be tough to dredge up more information at the beginning of each show. I think I'm going to get reduced down to telling fake stories about my six-toed cat again. Or, uh, or just how boring my life is. You hear that? Yeah, that's the cat digging and stuff. Get lost. Yeah, can't keep him out of the show. Well, we'll just sit here and wait for the clock to strike. Uh, now my kid is texting me. How come everyone's texting me now that I'm doing the show? What is? What's what is? What's my life? It's nothing. I just sit here and get harassed with text messages. They're uh, horrible crap at work. Oh, good. There we go. Well, why don't we dive into Chapter 2 of uh, Charles Dickens. Chapter 2. I observe. Ah, the first objects that assume a distinct presence before me as I look far back into the blank of my infancy are my mother with her pretty hair and her ah, youthful shape and Peggy and ah, with the the, uh, no shape at all and eyes so dark that they seem to darken their whole neighborhood uh, in her face. And cheeks and, uh, and arms so hard and red that I wondered the birds didn't peck her in preference to apples. I believe now I can remember these two uh, at a little distant apart, uh, dwarfed to my sight by stooping down or kneeling on the floor, and I going unsteadily from uh, one to the other. I have an impression on my mind, which I cannot distinguish from actual remembrance, of the touch of Peggy's forefinger, as she used to hold it out to me, and of its being uh, roughened by uh, uh, needlework, uh, like a uh, pocket nutmeg grater. Ah, well, uh, this may be fancy, though I think the memory of most of us can go further back into such times than many of us suppose, uh, just as I believe the power of observation in numbers of very young children to be quite wonderful for its uh, closeness and accuracy. Indeed, I think that most grown men who are remarkable in this respect may with greater propriety be said not to have lost the faculty than to have acquired it. Uh, the rather, as I generally observe, such men to retain a uh, hmm, certain freshness uh, and gentleness and capacity of being hmm, pleased, which are also an inheritance that they have preserved uh, from their childhood. I might have a misgiving that I am meandering and stopping to say this, but that it brings me to remark that I build these conclusions, I impart upon my own experience 
of myself, and if it should appear from anything I may set down in this narrative uh, that I was a, a child of close observation, or that, uh, that as a man I have a strong memory of my childhood, I undoubtedly lay claim to both of these characteristics. The cat is up on the table by my computer now. Oh, that was getting dangerous. Looking back, as I was saying, into the, into the blank of my infancy. Why is that a term? Uh, the first objects I can remember as standing out by themselves uh, from a confusion of things are my mother and Peggy. We just read all this. What else do I remember? <laughs> Let me see. Uh, there comes out of, the, out of the cloud our house. Uh, not new to me, but quite familiar in its earliest remembrance. The cat's now destroying the chair. Uh, on the ground floor is Peggy's kitchen, opening into a backyard with a pigeon uh, house on a pole in the center, without any pigeons in it. A great dog kennel in a corner, uh, without any dog, and a quantity of fowls that look uh, terribly tall to me, walking about in a menacing, ferocious manner. There is one cock who gets upon a post to crow, and seems to take particular notice of me as I look at him through the kitchen window, uh, who makes me uh, shiver. Oh, he's so fierce. Of these geese outside the side gate who come waddling after me with their long necks uh, stretched out when I go that way, uh, I dream at night as a man envisioned or environed uh, by wild beasts might dream of lions. Here is a long passage. Oh, great. What an enormous prospect I make of it. Leading from Peggy's kitchen to the front door, a dark storeroom opens up out of it. And that is a place to be run past at night. For I don't know what uh, may be among those tubs and jars and old tea chests uh, when there is nobody in there with a dimly burning light letting a moldy air come out of the door in which there's a, a smell of uh, soap and pickles and pepper candles and coffee and all at one whiff. Uh, then there are two parlors, the parlor in which we sit, of an evening, my mother and I and Peggy. For Peggy is quite our companion. When her work is done, we are alone. Uh, the best parlor where we sit on a Sunday, grandly, but not so uh, comfortably. There is something of a doleful air about that room to me. Uh, for Peggy has told me, eh, I don't know when, but apparently ages ago, about my father's funeral. And the company having their black cloaks put on, one Sunday night, my mother reads to Peggy and me in there and how Lazarus was raised up from the dead. And I am so frightened that they are afterwards obliged to take me out of bed and show me the, the quiet churchyard out of the bedroom window with all the dead lying in their graves at rest below the solemn moon. Ah, there's nothing half so green that I know anywhere as the grass in the churchyard. Nothing half so shady as its, uh, as its trees. Nothing half so quiet as its uh, uh, tombstones. The sheep are feeding there. When I kneel up early in the morning in my little bed in a closet uh, within my mother's room. That sounds creepy. Making your kids sleep in a closet. Uh, to look out at it and I see the red light shining on the sundial. and Think within myself. It is the sundial glad, I wonder, that it can uh, tell the, the time again. Here... Is our pew in the church. Uh, what a high back pew uh, with a window near it out of which our house can be seen 
and is seen many times during the morning service by Peggotty, who likes to make herself as sure as she can that it's not being robbed or is, uh, is not in flames. But though Peggotty's eye wanders, she is much offended if mine does and, and frowns to me as I stand upon the seat uh, that I am to look at the clergyman. But uh, nah, I can't always look at him. I know him without that white thing on, and I'm afraid of his uh, wandering why wandering why stare so, and perhaps stopping the service to inquire, and uh, hey, what am I to do? Uh, it's a dreadful thing uh, to gape, but I must do something. I look at my mother, uh, but she pretends not to see me. I look at, a, look at a boy in the aisle, and he makes a face at me. I look at the sunlight coming in, the open door through the porch, and, and there I see a... Eh, stray sheep. I don't mean a sinner, <laughs> but uh, but mutton. Half making up his mind to come into the church. I feel that if I looked at him any longer, I might be tempted to say something out loud. And uh, what would become of me then? Oh, I look up at the monumental tablets on the wall and try to think of Mr. Bodgers, late of this parish, and, and what the feelings of Mrs. Bodgers must have been. When afflictions soar a long time, and Mr. Bodger's born, physicians were in vain. I wonder whether they called in Mr. Chillip. And if he was in vain, and if so, how he likes to be reminded of it once a week. I look from Mr. Chillip in his Sunday neckcloth uh, to the pulpit, and think what a good place it would be to, uh, to play in, and what a castle it would make. Uh, with another boy coming up the stairs to attack it and having the velvet cushion with the tassels thrown down on his head. In time, my eyes gradually shut up. And from seeming to hear the clergyman singing uh, a drowsy song in the heat, I hear nothing until I fall off the seat with a crash and am taken out more dead than alive by Peggotty. And now I see the outside of our house with the latticed, uh, bedroom windows standing open to let in the sweet-smelling air, and the ragged old rook's nest still dangling in the elm trees at the bottom of the front garden. Now I am in the garden at the back, uh, beyond the yard where the empty pigeon house and dog kennel are, a, a very preserve of butterflies, as I remember it, with a high fence ah, and a gate and a padlock where the fruit clusters on the trees are riper and richer than fruit has ever been since in any other garden, and where my mother gathers some in a basket while I stand by, bolting furtive gooseberries and trying to look uh, unmoved. A great wind rises, and the summer is gone in a moment. We are playing in the winter twilight, dancing about the parlor, when my, my mother's out of breath and rests herself in an elbow chair. Oh, I watch her winding her bright curls around her fingers and uh, straightening her waist. And nobody knows better than I do that she likes to look so well and is uh, proud oh, of being so pretty. That is among my very earliest impressions, that, in a sense, that we were both uh, a little afraid of Peggotty, and uh, submitted ourselves in, in most things to her direction, uh, were among uh, the first opinions, if they may be so called, that I ever derived from what I saw. Peggotty and I were uh, sitting one night by the parlor fire alone, and I had been uh, reading to Peggotty uh, eh, about crocodiles, and I must have read a very uh, mm, perspicuously, 
I'm not looking this up. I got a feeling I'm going to be looking up everything in this book all the time. It's going to hold up the quality of this show. Or the poor soul must have been deeply interested, for I remember that she had a a cloudy impression after I had done uh, that they were sort of a a vegetable. I was tired of reading and uh, eh, dead sleepy, uh, but having leave as a high treat to sit up until my mother came home from spending the evening at a neighbor's. I would rather have died upon my post, of course, than have gone to bed. I had reached that stage of sleepiness when Peggy seemed to swell and uh, grow immensely large. I propped my eyelids open with my two forefingers and looked uh, perseveringly uh, at her as she sat at work. At the little bit of wax candle she kept for her thread, how old it looked being so wrinkled in all directions. And at the little house with a thatched roof where the yard measure lived, at her workbox with a sliding lid, and with a view of St. Paul's Cathedral with a pink dome painted on the top, at a brass thimble on her finger, at herself, whom I thought lovely. I felt, uh, oh, so sleepy, that I knew that if I lost sight of anything for a moment, I was gone. Uh, Peggy, says I, suddenly... Are you uh, ever married? Lord, Master Davy, replied Peggotty, what's put marriage into your head? She answered with such a, a start that it quite awoke me, and then she stopped in her work and looked at me uh, with, her, with her needle drawn out, so it's thread's length. But were you ever married? Uh, Peggotty, says I, were you a very uh, handsome woman, ain't you? I thought her... In a different style from my mother, certainly, but of a, another school of beauty. I considered her a perfect example. There was a, a red velvet footstool uh, in the best parlor on which my mother had painted a, a nosegay. Uh, the groundwork of that stool and Peggy's complexion appeared to me to be one of the same thing. The stool was smooth, uh, and the Peggy was rough, uh, but that made no difference. Uh, me handsome Davy, said Peggy. Lock! Law, L-A-W-K. No, my dear. Uh, but what put marriage into your head? Oh, I don't know. You, you mustn't marry more than one person at a time. Uh, may you, uh, Peggy? Oh, certainly not, said Peggy with the promptest decision. But if you marry a person uh, and, the, and the person dies, why then you may marry another person. May into you, Peggy? You may, in all caps, says Peggy, if you choose, my dear. That's a matter of opinion. Yeah, but what's your opinion, Peggy? said I. I asked her. She looked curiously, uh, and looked curiously at her, because she looked so curiously at me. My opinion is, said Peggy, taking her eyes from me, after a, a little indecision uh, was going on with her work, that I uh, never was married myself, Master Davy, and that I don't expect to be. Uh, that's all I know about the subject. Uh, you ain't cross, I suppose, Peggy. Uh, are you? Said I, after sitting quiet for a minute. I really thought she was. She had been so short with me, but I was uh, quite mistaken, for she laid aside her work, which was a stocking of her own, and opening her arms wide, took my curly head within them and gave it a good squeeze. And I know it was a good squeeze, because uh, being <laughs> very plump, whenever she made uh, any little exertion after she was dressed, some of the buttons on the back of her gown flew off, 
and I recollect you bursting in the opposite side of the parlor while she was hugging me. Wow, there's this kind of weird, awkward tension. Then there's a tender moment, and then cartoonishly comical buttons flying across the room. <laughs> now let me hear some more about the Corkendiles, uh, uh, said Peggotty, who was not quite right in the name yet, for I ain't heard half enough. I couldn't quite understand why Peggy looked so queer or why she was uh, so ready to go back to the crocodiles. However, we returned to those monsters with fresh wakefulness on my part, and we left their eggs in the sand for the sun to hatch. And we ran away from them and baffled them by constantly turning, which they were unable to do quickly on account of their unwieldy make. They just don't have necks. And we went to the water after them as natives and put sharp pieces of timber down their throats. And in short, we ran the whole crocodile gauntlet. I did, uh, at least, but I had my doubts of Peggy, who was thoughtfully sticking her needle in various parts of her face uh, and her arms uh, all the time. We had exhausted... Is she really sticking needles in her arms and face? That was something he mentioned earlier about the redness of the arms. Really? Uh, what's that about? We had exhausted the crocodiles and begun with the alligators when the garden bell rang. Now we went out the door, and there was my mother, looking unusually pretty, I thought, and with her, ah, a gentleman with beautiful black hair and whiskers, who had walked home with us from church last Sunday. As my mother stooped down on the threshold to take me in her arms and, and, and kiss me, the gentleman said I was a more highly privileged little fellow than a monarch, or uh, something like that. For my later understanding comes, uh, I am sensible uh, to my aid here. Uh, what does that mean? I asked him over their shoulder. He patted me on the head, but somehow I didn't like him or his deep voice. And I was jealous that his hand should touch my mother's in touching me. Which it did. I put it away as well as I could. Oh, Davy, remonstrated my mother. Ah, dear boy, said the gentleman. I cannot wonder at his devotion. I never saw such a beautiful color on my mother's face before. Uh, she gently uh, chid, C-H-I-D, chid me from being rude and keeping me close to her shawl, turned to thank the gentleman for taking so much trouble as to bring her home. Uh, she put out her hand to him as she spoke and and he met it with his own, and then glanced, and I thought it me. Let us say good night, my fine boy, said the gentleman. When he had bent his head, I saw him over my mother's little glove. Good night, said I. Come, let us be the best friends in the world, said the gentleman, laughing. Shake hands. My right hand was in my mother's left. So I gave him the other. I that's a wrong hand, Davy, laughed the gentleman. My mother drew my right hand forward, but I was resolved for my former reason not to give it to him. And I did not. Uh, I gave him the other, and he shook it heartily and said I was a brave fellow and, and, uh, and went away. At this minute, I see him turn round in the garden and give us a last look with his ill-omened black eyes before the door was shut. Peggotty, who had not said a word or moved a finger, secured the fastenings instantly, and, and we all went into the parlor. And my mother, contrary to her usual habit, instead of coming to the elbow chair by the fire, remained at the other end of the room and uh, sat uh, singing to herself. 
Uh, "'Hope you had a pleasant evening, ma'am,' said Peggotty, "'standing as stiff as a barrel in the center of the room "'with a candlestick in her hand. Uh, "'Much much obliged to you, Peggotty,' returned my mother in a cheerful voice. "'I have had a, all caps, very pleasant evening.' "'Well, that insinuates something gross. "'A stranger or so makes an agreeable change,' suggested Peggotty. "'Oh, a very agreeable change indeed,' returned my mother. "'Gross. "'Peggotty, continuing to stand motionless in the middle of the room,' And my mother resuming her singing. Uh, I fell asleep, though I was not so sound asleep that I could uh, hear voices without hearing what they said. When I half awoke from this uncomfortable doze, I found Peggotty and my mother both in tears, both talking. Not such a one as this Mr. Copperfield wouldn't have liked, said Peggotty. That I say and that I swear. Oh, good heavens, cried my mother. You'll drive me mad. "'Was ever any poor girl so ill-used by her servants as I am? "'Why do I do myself the injustice of calling myself a girl? "'Have I never been married, Peggotty?' "'Oh, God knows you have, madam,' returned Peggotty. "'Then how can you dare?' said my mother. "'You know I don't mean how you can dare, Peggotty. Uh, "'But how can you have the heart to make me so uncomfortable "'and say such bitter things to me?' "'when you are well aware that I haven't, out of this place, "'a single friend to turn to.' "'Well, there's more the reason,' returned Peggotty, "'for saying that it won't do. "'No, that it won't do. "'No, no price could make it do. "'No, dash.' "'I thought Peggotty would have thrown the candlestick away. "'She was so emphatic about it. Eh, "'How can you be so aggravating?' said my mother, uh, "'shedding more tears than before.' "'as to talk in such a, an unjust manner. "'How can you go on as if it was all settled and arranged, Peggotty? "'What I tell you over and over again, you cruel thing, "'that beyond the commonest civilities nothing has passed. "'You talk of admiration. Uh, what am I to do? "'If people are so silly as to uh, indulge in sentiment, is it, "'is it my fault? "'What am I to do, I ask you? "'Would you wish me to shave my head and black my face "'or disfigure myself with a burn, uh... Uh, or, a, or a scald, or a, a something of that sort. I dare say you would, Peggotty. I dare say you'd quite enjoy it. Well, that seems as good a place as any for us to take a little break and uh, maybe retire to the master bedroom where I can uh, read to you about the latest upcoming romance novels. Go ahead, uh, spread yourself out across my satin sheets, and uh, and I'll get the cocoa butter as I take my freshly shaven, rotund body and bring it near you with its warmth, its glistening, a uh, thin layer of sweat, as I tell you about a new book called Strange Candy by Laurel K. Hamilton. Uh, it's coming out June 5th, which is basically tomorrow from when I recorded this. Uh, number one New York Times best-selling author, Laurel K. Hamilton. Uh, this book's got a pretty sexy cover. It's got a scantily dressed woman. Uh, she's blindfolded. She seems like she's got some sort of black ribbon around her neck and her wrist. And she's seductively eating from some kind of weird dripping cherry thing. About the book Strange Candy? Sure, I'll tell you about it. It's a, uh, 
It's a number one New York Times best-selling author short story collection, including a an all-new Anita Blake vampire hunter story, now in paperback. Why is everyone... All these romance books have something to do with wizards, witches, and vampires. Nobody just... I don't, why am I not finding any that's just like your classic... A pen, like woman from 1850 who can't leave the house and there's the stable boy. I'm looking for those. From a woman who marries into a family of volatile wizards. Well, alright. And a couple fleeing a gang of love-hungry cupids from a girl who seeks sanctuary in the form of a graceful goose to the disgruntled superhero Captain Housework. What? Readers will revel in the many twists and turns of fortune in these fantastical fairy tales and lush parables. Uh, even hardened vampire hunter and zombie animator uh, Anita Blake gets blindsided by the disturbing motives of her clients in the new uh, Those Who Seek Forgiveness, in quotes, and, in quotes, The Girl Who Is Infatuated With Death. Uh, let's learn a little bit about the author real quick. Laurel K. Hamilton is a full-time writer, the number one New York Times bestselling. Everyone's a New York Times bestselling author. It's ridiculous how many books are number one with New York Times. I, I guess you pay them $20 and you just get that stamp. Uh, Anita Blake, Vampire Hunter series and the Mary Gentry series. She lives in a, in a suburb of St. Louis with her family. Well, there you go. Didn't uh, come off as erotic as I hoped. But it's 16 bucks in paperback, so uh, if you're in the mood to hear about wizards and uh, love-hungry cupids and some superhero named Captain Housework, be sure to check out Strange Candy, coming out June 5th. Now let's get back to the show. Let's just settle ourselves down here in the library and continue where we left off. Peggy uh, seems to take this aspiration very much to heart, I thought. And my dear boy, cried my mother, coming to the elbow chair in which I was, and, uh, oh, and caressing me. And my own little Davy, is it to be hinted to me that I am wanting an affection for my precious treasure, uh, the dearest little fellow that ever was? "'Nobody never went and hinted no such a thing,' said Peggotty. "'You did, Peggotty,' returned my mother. "'Oh, you did. "'And what else was it possible to infer from what you said, you unkind creature? "'You know, as well as I do, that on this account, only last quarter, "'I wouldn't buy myself a, a new parasol, though uh, that old green one is frayed uh, the whole way up, "'and the fringe is perfectly mangy.' Hey, you know what it is, Peggotty? You can't deny it. Then, turning affectionately to me with her cheek against mine, Am I a naughty mama, Tinky Davy? <laughs> am I a nasty, cruel, selfish, bad mama? <laughs> say I am, my child. Say yes, dear boy. And Peggotty will love you. And Peggotty's love is a great deal better than mine, Davy. I don't love you at all, do I? Man, this is a weird mom. At this... We all fell a-crying together. I think I was the loudest of the party. Well, yeah, because it's a small child watching this mom act insane. But I am sure we are all sincere about it. 
I was quite heartbroken myself, and am afraid that in the first transports of wounded tenderness, I called Peggotty, eh, yeah, beast. That honest creature was in deep affliction, I remember, and must have become quite buttonless on the occasion, for a little volley of those explosives went off uh, when, after having made it up with my mother, she kneeled down by the elbow chair and made it up with me. I went to bed, uh, greatly dejected. My sobs kept waking me. Who? Wow, you fall asleep crying? You wake up from your own... I wake up from my own snoring. For a long time, when I was very strong sob, uh, quite hoisted me up in bed, I found my mother sitting on the coverlet and leaning over me. This is so creepy. I fell asleep in her arms after that and slept soundly. Uh, anyway, it was the following Sunday when I saw the gentleman again, or whether there was any greater lapse of time before he reappeared. Uh, I cannot recall. I don't profess to be clear about dates. Uh, but there he was, in church. And he walked home with us afterwards. Oh, he came in, too, to look at a famous geranium we had in the parlor window. It did not uh, appear to me that he took much notice of it, but before he went, he asked my mother to give him a, a bit of the blossom. Oh, she begged him to choose it for himself, uh, but he refused to do that, and I could not understand why, so she plucked it for him and gave it into his hand. And gave it into his hand. Never heard that described that way before. He said he would never, never part with it anymore. And I thought he must be quite a fool not to know that it would fall to pieces uh, uh, in a day or two. Peggy began to uh, be less with us uh, of an evening uh, when she had always been. My mother deferred to her very much, uh, more than usual it occurred to me, and we were all three excellent friends. Still, we were different from what we used to be, and we were not so comfortable amongst ourselves. Sometimes I uh, fancy that Peggy perhaps objected to my mother's wearing of all the uh, pretty dresses that she had in her drawers, or uh, to her going so often to visit at the neighbors. But I couldn't, to my satisfaction, make out uh, how it was. Gradually, I became used to seeing the gentleman with the black whiskers, and I asked him no better uh, than at first, uh, and he had the same uneasy jealousy of him. Uh, if I had any reason for it beyond a child's instinctive dislike and a general idea that Peggy and I could uh, make much of my mother without any help, it certainly was not, all caps, THE reason that I might have found if I had been older. No such thing came into my mind or near it. I could observe in little pieces, as it were, but as to making a net of a number of these pieces and catching anybody in it that was, as yet, uh, beyond me. One out of morning, I was with my mother in the front garden. When Mr. Murdstone, I knew him uh, by that name now, came by on horseback. He reined up his horse to salute my mother and said he was going to Lowsoft to see some friends who were there with a, with a, with a yacht and merrily proposed to take me on the saddle before him if I would like the ride. Uh, the air was so clear and pleasant, and the horse seemed to like the idea of the ride so much himself, uh, as he stood snorting uh, and pawing in the garden gate, that I had a great desire to go. So I was sent upstairs to Peggotty to be made spruce. And in the meantime, Mr. Murdstone dismounted, and with his horse's bridle drawn over his arm, uh, walked slowly up and down on the outer side of the uh, sweet briar fence, 
while my mother walked slowly up and down on the inner to keep him company. I recollect Peggotty and I uh, peeping out at them from my little window. I recollect how closely they seemed to be examining the sweet briar between them as they strolled along. Oh, and how from being in a perfectly angelic temper, Peggotty uh, turned cross in a moment and brushed my hair the wrong way, uh, excessively hard. Mr. Murdstone and I were soon off, and trotting along on the green turf by the side of the road, he held me quite easily with one arm, and, and I don't think I was restless, usually, but I could not make up my mind to sit in front of him without turning my head sometimes and looking up in his face. He had that uh, kind of shallow black eye. I want a better word to express a, an eye that has no depth in it uh, to be looked into, which, uh, when it's abstracted, seems from some peculiarly of light that to be disfigured uh, for a moment at a time by, uh, by a cast. Several times when I glanced at him, I observed that appearance with a sort of awe and wondered uh, what he was thinking about so closely. His hair and whiskers were uh, blacker and thicker and looked so near than even I had given them credit for being. Uh, a squareness about the lower part of his face and the dotted indication of the strong black beard he shaved close every day reminded me of the waxwork that had traveled into our neighborhood some uh, half a year before. Uh, this, his regular eyebrows, uh, which were white and black and, uh, and brown, his complexion confound his complexion, and, uh, and his memory made me think him, in spite of my misgivings, uh, yeah, a very handsome man. I got no doubt that my poor dear mother thought him so too. Uh, we went to a hotel uh, by the sea where two gentlemen were, were smoking cigars uh, in a room by themselves. Each of them was lying on at least four chairs uh, and had a large rough jacket on. In a corner was a heap of coats and uh, boat cloaks and a flag, all bundled up together. They both rolled on their feet in an untidy sort of manner. Uh, when we came in and said, Halloa, Murdstone, we thought you were dead. <laughs> Not yet, said Mr. Murdstone. And uh, who's this shaver, said one of the gentlemen, taking hold of me. That's Davy, returned Mr. Murdstone. Uh, Davy who, said the gentleman. Jones? <laughs> Copperfield, said Mr. Murdstone. What? "'Bewitching Mrs. Copperfield's encumbrance?' <laughs> cried the gentleman. "'The pretty little widow!' "'Quinon,' said Mr. Murdstone. "'Take care, if you please. Somebody's sharp.' Uh, "'Who is?' asked the gentleman, laughing. "'I looked up quickly, being curious to know. "'Only Brooks of Sheffield,' said Mr. Murdstone. "'I was quite relieved to find that it was only Brooks of Sheffield, "'for at first I really thought it was I.' There seemed to be something very comical in the reputation of Mr. Brooks uh, of Sheffield, for both the gentlemen laughed heartily when he was mentioned, and Mr. Murdstone was a good deal amused also. After some laughing, the gentleman whom he had called Quinon said, uh, What is the, uh, the opinion of Brooks of Sheffield in reference to the projected business? Oh, I, I don't know that the Brooks understands much about it at present, replied Mr. Murdstone, but he is not generally favorable, I believe. Ah, there was more laughter at this, and Mr. Quinon said he would ring the bell for some sherry in which to drink uh, to Brooks. This he did, and when the wine came, he made me have a little uh, with a biscuit, ah, and before I drank it, I stand up and say, Confusion uh, to Brooks of Sheffield. 
the toast was received with great applause and such hearty laughter that it made me laugh too, at which they laughed the more. Uh, in short, we quite enjoyed ourselves. We walked about on the cliff after that and sat on the grass and looked at things through a, through a telescope. I could make out nothing myself uh, when it was put to my eye, but I pretended I could, and then we came back to the hotel uh, to an early dinner. All the time we were out, the two gentlemen smoked incessantly, uh, which I thought, if I might judge from the smell of their rough coats, they must have had a doing, and ever since the coats had first come home from the tailors, I must not forget that we went on board the yacht, where they all three descended into the cabin and were busy with some papers. I saw them quite hard at work when I looked down through the open skylight, uh, and they left me during this time with a, with a very nice man with a very large head of red hair and a very small shiny hat upon it, uh, who had got a cross-barred shirt or waistcoat on with, with Skylark in capital letters across the chest. I thought it was his name and that he lived on board the ship and hadn't a street door to put his name on. Uh, he had put it on... Uh, Put it on there instead. When I called him Mr. Skylark, he said it meant the vessel. Well, I observed all day that Mr. Murdstone was graver and steadier than the two gentlemen. Uh, they were gay and careless. Uh, they joked freely with one another, uh, but seldom with him. It appeared to me that he was more clever and cold than they were, and that they regarded him with something of uh, my own feeling. I remarked that uh, once or twice when Mr. Quinnon was talking that he looked at Mr. Murdstone eh, sideways as if to make sure of his not being displeased. And that once when Mr. Miss, Mr. Pass, Passnidge, P-A-S-S-N-I-D-G-E, Passnidge, uh, the other gentleman, was in high spirits, he trod upon his foot and gave him a secret caution with his eyes uh, to observe Mr. Murdstone, who was sitting stern and silent. Nor do I recollect that Mr. Murdstone laughed at all that day, except at the Sheffield joke, and that, by the by, was his own. Well, we went home early in the evening, uh, and it was a fine evening, and my mother uh, and he had another uh, stroll by the sweetbriar, and while I was sent to get my tea. When he was gone, my mother asked me all about the day I had, and uh, what they had said and uh, done. I mentioned uh, that they had said about her, oh, and she laughed, and told me that they were impudent fellows who talked nonsense, but I knew it pleased her. I knew it quite as well as I know it now. I took the opportunity of asking if she uh, was at all acquainted with Mr. Brooks of Sheffield, uh, but she answered uh, no. Only she supposed he must be a manufacturer, a manufacturer in the knife and fork way. Can I say of her face, altered as I have reason to remember it, perished as I know it is, that it is gone? When it here it comes before me at this instant, as distinct as any face that I may choose to look on in a crowded street, can I say of her innocent and girlish beauty that it faded and was no more when its breath falls on my cheek now as it fell that night? Can I say she never changed? when my remembrance brings her back to life, thus only and truer to its loving youth than I have been, or man ever is, still holds fast, that it cherished then. I write of her just as she was when I had gone to bed, uh, after this talk, 
and she came to bid me good night. Oh, she kneeled down playfully by the side of the bed, and laying her, her, her chin upon her hands and laughing, said, Eh, what was it they said, Davy? Tell me again. I can't believe it. Bewitching, I began. My mother put her hands upon my lips to stop me. It was never bewitching, she said, laughing. It, was, it never could have been bewitching, Davy. Now, I know it wasn't. Uh, yes, it was. Bewitching, Mrs. Copperfield, I repeated stoutly, and uh, pretty. Uh, no, no, it is never pretty. Not pretty, imposed my mother, uh, laying her fingers upon my lips again. Uh, yes, it was. Pretty little widow. Ah, what foolish, impudent creatures, cried my mother, laughing and covering her face. <clears throat> what ridiculous men, aren't they, Davy dear? Oh, Elma, don't tell Peggotty. She might be angry with them, and I am dreadfully angry with them myself, but I would rather Peggotty didn't know. I promised, of course, and, uh, and we kissed one another over and over again, and I soon fell asleep. Weird, it seems to me, at this distance of time, as if it were the next day when Peggotty broached the striking and adventurous proposition I am about to mention, but it was probably about uh, two months afterwards. We were sitting as before one evening when my mother was out as before in company with the stocking and the yard measure and the bit of uh, wax in the box with St. Paul's on the lid and the crocodile book when Peggotty, after looking at me several times and opening her mouth as if she were going to speak without doing it, which I thought was merely gaping, or I should have rather... Uh, alarmed, said coaxingly, uh, Master Davy, how should you like to go along with me uh, and spend a fortnight at my brother's at Yarmouth? Uh, wouldn't that be a treat? Is your brother an agreeable man, Peggotty? I inquired provisionally. Oh, uh, what an agreeable man he is, cried Peggotty, holding up her hands. Uh, then there's the sea, uh, and the boats, uh, and the ships. Oh, oh and the fishermen, uh, and the beach, and Am to play with. Peggotty meant her nephew, Ham, mentioned uh, in my first chapter, but she spoke of him as a morsel of English grammar. I was flushed by her summary of delights, and replied that it would indeed be a treat, and that it would, uh, what would my mother say? Oh, well, I'll be as good a bet that... A guinea, said Peggotty, attent upon my face, uh, that she'll let us go. I'll ask her if you like it. As soon as she comes home, uh, uh, there now. But what's she to do while we're away, said I, putting my small elbows on the table to argue the point. She can't live by herself. If Peggotty were looking for a hole all of a sudden in the heel of that stocking, it must have been a very little one indeed and not worth darning. I say, uh, Peggotty, uh, she can't live by herself, you know. Oh, uh, bless you, said Peggotty, looking at me again at last. Don't you know? She's gonna stray for a fortnight, uh, with Mr. Gaper. Uh, Mrs. Gaper's gonna have a lot of, uh, company. Oh, if that was it, I was quite ready to go. I waited with the utmost impatience till my mother came home from Mrs. Gaper's. Uh, for it was the identical neighbor, to ascertain uh, if we could get leave to carry out this great idea. Without being nearly so much surprised as I had expected, my mother entered into it readily, and it was all arranged that night, and my board and lodging during the visit were to be paid for. The day soon came, 
for our going, and it was such an early day that it came soon, even to me, who was in a fever expectation, and half afraid uh, that an earthquake or a, or, a, or a fiery mountain or some other great convulsion in nature might interpose to stop the expedition. We were to go in a carrier's cart, which departed in the morning after breakfast. I would have given any money to have been allowed to wrap myself up overnight and sleep in my hat and boots. It touches me nearly now, although I tell it lightly, to recollect how eager I was to leave my happy home, to think how little I suspected uh, what I did leave forever. I'm glad to recollect that when the carrier's card was at the gate and my mother stood there kissing me, a grateful fondness for her and for the old place I had never turned my back upon before made me cry. I'm glad to know that my mother cried too, uh, and that I felt her heart beat against mine. I'm glad uh, to recollect that when the carrier began to move, my mother ran out the gate and called to him to stop, that she might kiss me once more. And I am glad to dwell uh, upon the earnestness and love uh, with which she lifted up her face to mine and did so. As we left her standing in the road, Mr. Murdstone came up to where she was and seemed to expostulate with her for being so moved. I was looking back uh, round the awning of the cart and wondered what business it was of his. Peggotty, who was also looking back on the other side, seemed anything but satisfied as the face she brought back into the cart denoted. I sat looking at Peggotty for some time in a reverie on this uh, superstitious case, whether, if she were employed to lose me like the boy in the fairy tale, I should be able to track my own way home again by the buttons she should have shed. Let's uh, retire to the smoking room here and uh, and um, and recap the story. Uh, what happened? He remembers being a little boy, and he remembers his uh, mom being beautiful and and Peggy not being beautiful at all, uh, and Peggy being crabby and uh, kind of manipulative and uh, ornery. Mom meets a man. Uh, who is both handsome and uh, has dark, soulless eyes, which is a sign of things to come. Uh, Mom can't stop gushing over this guy. And uh, their idea of a good time for the kid to get on the kid's good side, yeah, it's not to bring him a toy. Uh, it's not to take him somewhere fun like a park with, uh, I don't know, rides or something. He says, get on my horse and I'll take you to my creepy job where I hang out with boat people and, uh, and intimidate and scare them and spend the day there doing that. Did the kid have fun hanging around grown-ups, sitting quietly, not getting anyone's way? Probably not. But back then, uh, I guess a kid just getting out of the house was fun in and of itself. After that, uh, Peggy says, Hey, you want to come over to the ocean and see my family? And nothing sounds fun there either, except for the ocean, but how fun is that for a kid? Plus, it's England. It's not like the ocean's warm. It's not like you're in the Gulf of Mexico or something. It's uh, probably pretty cold a lot of the time. You don't sit out there splashing around. I don't know. I've never been to England. Maybe the waters are warm as hell up there. But 
I just think of here in Minneapolis, uh, the lakes we have are ice cold and I hate swimming in them. Anyways, uh, so that's it. That's where we left off. He's going to go off to this magical wonderland of, uh, of an ocean and some other kid named Ham. What's good? That's uh, pretty good. Story's pretty good. I'm not complaining. Uh, he, uh, Charles Dickens writes, like I said last time, uh, the characters in a pretty human way, considering the times and the style of writing. So I can see why he was such a big deal back in the day. People kind of identified with the characters. So that's good. Uh, what sucks? Uh, so far, story-wise, nothing. Uh, as far as how the story's going, uh, as far as the characters go, uh, obviously, uh, the boyfriend is creepy, and Peggy is hired help. You're hired help. You need to shut up. What do we learn? That your mother can kiss you too much. Just hangs over you while you're sleeping and kisses you too much. Goes from being angry and screaming at Peggy to uh, begging the sun. Uh, do, you, do you like me? Whatever that. That was all weird. Uh, a weird mom. Uh, so we learned uh, moms are weird. We got that. So with that, uh, we will pick up next week with chapter three. Uh, and I will see you then. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's one left.